Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So the first thing is to let go of the pressure of the idea of being perfect because that is not a thing that exists and it's just going to make everything harder. So you can just take a breath and know that you are in a particular phase of life where cooking might be different than before you had kids or after the kids are older, which is totally fine. And then for me, we'd assign categories to each night of the week. So like Tuesday is always tacos or burrito bowls or something Mexican. We have a pasta night, we have a salad night when the warmer months or soup night in the colder months. So starting with categories means that I'm never starting from scratch so that I go into the kitchen and I know it's pasta and then it's easier to choose, okay, we're gonna go with like white beans and spinach or we're gonna go with like a broccoli pesto. Welcome to the Pete's Doc Talk podcast, a show that continues to grow because of you and your reviews. The way you share this podcast with friends and loved ones means so much to me because that's how people continue to discover the show. A podcast where I get to welcome the most amazing guests to chat about all things parenting, child health, child development, and parental, mental, and physical health, and also just to make our lives easier. Today's guest is helping us do just that. She's Amy Palangian. She's a founder of Yummy Toddler Food on Instagram and her website, which is amazing, and author of Dinner Time SOS. And she's joining me to talk about simplifying meal prep planning, and feeding our kids. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I love following you on social media. I have used many of your recipes for our family as well. But you know, when you share stuff on social, it's not just recipes and it's not just, you know, cook this and do this. It's a lot of just mom life, a lot of just parent life, a lot of just real relatable content of having kids, being a mom, being busy, the mess that cooking makes. Like, (laughs) I really appreciate you doing all that. So for anyone listening, if you're not following her already, you're going to follow her. We're going to link everything at the show notes and talk about that at the end again. But for anyone who's not familiar with who you are, Amy, introduce yourself and maybe why you started Yummy Toddler Food. Sure. So I started my career working in magazines. So I was a food editor and a lifestyle editor. And I was like, trained as a recipe developer. And I loved thinking about audience and who we were writing for. And so that context is really important for me. And as the magazine industry changed and magazines sort of went away, or a lot Mm -hmm. of them went away, there just was a point where I needed to figure out a career on my own, kind of. So I started the website not really knowing what I was doing as far as like technically goes. But I had a one-year-old And it was like all of the rules for feeding her changed. Like I sort of understood how to feed a baby. And then you have a one-year-old who has starting to be able to share their opinions Mm -hmm. and has specific preferences, but can't chew like quote unquote kid food. Like at that time, there was just this huge gap in like, what am I supposed to feed this child? And also, how can I make it so that we can all eat the same thing? So I'm not spending the whole day in the kitchen and 
enjoy meals and be able to feed myself. So it really came from like a personal place. And so I had the website as a hobby for about four years and didn't really know what I was doing and then learned how to be a blogger. And then social media sort of came after as it does. Yes, exactly. And it's obviously been uh, a huge thing for you. And I love it. I love the stuff that you share, like I mentioned already. And I wanted you to come on. I know you have a book out, which we'll talk about at the end as well. The author, you're an author of Dinnertime SOS, which we'll talk about that book, which I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. But we're talking about on this episode today about simplifying meal prep, planning and feeding. And you just mentioned it like you went through that. How do I just feed my family, but not feel like I'm just spending hours and hours, you know, in the kitchen. And you have become, I would say a somewhat pro at that. I mean, obviously there's time being spent, but let's talk about that. First thing I wanted to ask you is how do you recommend, or maybe how do you do it for your family, streamlining dinner prep? For your family, you know, obviously there's so many decisions, what to eat, when am I going to prepare it? Do I prepare it on a Sunday? Or how do you kind of envision and hope people would kind of look at that process? So the first thing is to let go of the pressure of the idea of being perfect, because that is not a thing that exists. And it's just going to make everything harder. Mm -hmm. So you can just take a breath and know that you are in a particular phase of life where cooking might be different than before you had kids or after the kids are older, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And then for me, we'd assign categories to each night of the week. So like Tuesday is always tacos or burrito bowls or something Mexican. We have a pasta night. We have a salad night when the warmer months or soup night in the colder months. So starting with categories means that I'm never starting from scratch so that I go into the kitchen and I know it's pasta. And then it's easier to choose, okay, we're going to go with like white beans and spinach, or we're going to go with like a broccoli pesto. Like I can use what I have, or I can go to the store with pasta in mind and see what vegetables are on sale or what proteins on sale. So that is one thing that I do just to reduce the number of decisions. I find it to be very helpful. A second thing is to really take advantage of shortcuts. Everything from frozen vegetables. I mean, frozen vegetables are like the most amazing. I love them. Yeah. I love them so much. And they there's this misconception that they're not as good for you or they're not as nutritious, which is just not true. And they're easy and you can prepare them in so many delicious ways. Like the only way my youngest will eat broccoli is roasted frozen broccoli. Mm -hmm. Because it's a little bit more tender than when you roast fresh broccoli. Yeah. So I would lean into that and then like canned beans and jarred sauces, like look and see what your store has, but just take advantage of what's there. Like, yes, sometimes buying jars of like teriyaki sauce is more expensive. But when you look at the amount that you have to spend to buy all of the ingredients for something, it may not actually be more expensive. And also your time has value. Yeah. So like we have to sort of keep the context in mind. So I think there is the logistical challenge of making food. And there is the pressure that we feel from like the social media world that we all live in. Yeah. And I think the more you can remember that whatever you're doing is totally fine, like the easier the logistical part will be. I love it. I actually, we do the same thing. I don't know you did that. Um, we do the same thing about nights which is like, you know, we have Indian food night, we have Mexican, we have either Thai or Chinese or Japanese, you know, takeout night, like that's just our night. And I love it. And I think you said it perfectly about the pressure because 
and I see it a lot. I experienced it too. I had a lot of pressure when my son was an infant on feeding, like, because, you know, you're like, oh, the diversity, I got to introduce diversity. And then keeping it simple, like you said, on, you know, if I prepare a meal, can this meal be prepared in a safe way for a baby led wiener or someone who's obviously can't chew? And so I look at either, you know, pureeing it or making it soft or steaming it. And then there's so much pressure there, you know, and I think social media has a huge thing to do with that. I believe, you know, when I talk to families in my office who aren't on social media, they're not as stressed about the meals. They're like, they're just eating what we're eating. We're just making sure it's it's safe. And there's no like, well, I got to make this and he has to have this many foods and all that, which I think that's so important. You mentioned that at the beginning, because the stress is so much of meal planning. And then you don't enjoy meals because you're stressed. Like you're feeling like, oh my gosh, like I have to prepare this. And then if they don't eat it, I spend all this time, but you can't control that. And so I love that. I think that's so nice to just simplify the planning. I feel like the planning is harder because that's all mental load, right? Do you Mm -hmm. feel like for your family, like before you started having this sort of kind of pattern or plan of, okay, here's the night that we're doing. Do you feel like planning was harder than actually executing all of these things? I think it's harder. I think it's still hard because we have multiple children who prefer different foods now. But this Mm -hmm. is where the having the theme nights helps because the kids know when to expect things. And kids just love routine. They love knowing what's coming. And so Mm -hmm. if a meal is not one of their favorites, we can be like, well, tomorrow is this. So that has been helpful. But I also put fruit on the table pretty much at every meal and like some other side, like the whole grain crackers or sliced cheese or like, I do not care about all I want is everyone to have enough to eat. And so if there is a meal where I'm not sure if one of my kids will find foods that they like, I just add something else to the table. And like, obviously that is coming from a place of privilege of having the food, but like I keep an extra jar of applesauce on hand for that type of a thing, just because I want everyone to be able to feel safe and comfortable at the table and preferences change. Like I often think about how I would feel if someone was making all of my meals every single day. I would like lose my mind. It would be so difficult. And so when you put yourself in that, like when you think about it from that perspective, you're like, okay, this is tricky for a kid because they know what they like and they have like no control. (laughs) So I try to just like sort of keep it in mind. Yeah. And, you know, we did mention about social media briefly. You mentioned it. I mentioned it. What do you feel like the internet gets wrong? And let's talk about it could be social media or the internet as a whole about the ideas of exposure and variety and maybe how that ties into pressure and stress even. Yeah. So there is this idea that if you feed your baby like a hundred foods before they're one, that you're going to set them up to not become quote unquote picky. Yeah. Every baby turns into a toddler. I was like, your toddler is going to eat differently than they did as a baby. When that kid is a preschooler and is in elementary school and as a young adult, they are going to eat differently than when they were a baby. Yeah. Like we're missing allowing the natural progression of development to happen. If you do all of those things when you have a baby and then your toddler suddenly doesn't want the food that they used to like or they eat less than you think that they should. Mm -hmm. or you're expecting, you think you did something wrong. Yes. Where you didn't, they're just growing and changing or they're growing at a slower pace. Like one of the most common things, questions that I get is like, why did my 14 year old suddenly won't eat anything I give them? My 17 month old doesn't like any of the food that they used to like. 
As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. And like the first thing is like, they might just not be as hungry as you expect. And we've taken like that out of, like nobody knows that. So we're setting parents up to think that there's a problem when there's not. And with the idea of variety and exposure, if you think about the way that adults eat, an adult can eat a really varied diet over the course of a month. We may Mm -hmm. eat like the same turkey sandwich for lunch or the same chicken salad for lunch. And then we go out to a restaurant on Saturday or we go out to brunch on Sunday or we go to a farmer's market and we pick up something different. Like when you look at it over a longer period of time, you're being exposed to a range of things. You might see things at a store. You might talk to a friend who's eating something. You might see a picture. But when we think about our kids, there are accounts that are telling parents that like every meal, there has to be a new thing which is just not true. And it is like goes against the natural instincts of kids to want, like they want familiar and safe mm-hmm. and comforting. I think of like for my family, it's like the core of what we eat is the same. Yeah. And then I might cut something differently. I might buy a different brand of something. I might get a different bread. And then throughout the course of our day, we're going to interact with other foods. And that to me is like a much more sane way to think about variety and exposure. Like you can read books about food. You can watch shows about like cooking shows. Like you do not have to put something new on a plate every meal or every day. That's just not the way that people normally eat. And I think it just makes everything way too hard. And even from like a grocery budgeting standpoint. Yeah. A lot of waste can happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that is such a good point about the managing expectations. And I call it false advertising with what you just mentioned about the introduce these diversity and this is how your child will be a great eater or also self-feeding alone makes you a better eater. Now, don't get me wrong. I think self-feeding is really important and I'm a big proponent of self-feeding as early as developmentally possible for that child. It may mean Mm -hmm. six months. It may mean eight months. It may mean 10 months, right? We know that, that some kids don't take to self-feeding right away. Some of them need a little bit more time to click. And I've seen that with two children in the same family. One was like self-feeding at six and a half months. And then the other one's like, I want nothing to do with this. I, and then they do the, the classic, you know, purees and then they go to like nine, 10 months. So I think we have to be really clear. I agree with you. A lot of accounts, you know, boast these things, but from a, you're right, from a developmental perspective, we know that it's going to turn, whether you were a great infant feeder, whether you were more selective as an infant, there is going to be a turn at some point where they are going to have preferences. They're going to want autonomy. They're going to say no. And then the parent is feeling like, well, I did everything and checked all the boxes and what's going on now. I kind of describe it like with breastfeeding, like I love it. You know, I'm an IBCLC. I love educating about breastfeeding and formula, but a lot of the education about breastfeeding says, you know, you breastfeed, your child will not get sick as much. Your child will not have this, but we know that they get sick. Like I have had so many children who have been breastfed who get ear infections. And so the mom is coming in feeling like I failed. I've been breastfeeding her, panicking and literally breastfeeding when the child doesn't need to be fed. Like the child's not even hungry and she's just wanting to get the breast milk into the child to treat it. And I'm like, your child has an ear infection. Yeah, We're going to need to give antibiotics. I love that you want to (laughs) continue breastfeeding, but you did nothing wrong here. You were told that this is a one fix all and that's false advertising. And I say that because I think I know, and you know, it sounds like that we know what the real deal here, like, you know, that I know that, yeah, I could reduce your chances doing self-feeding, having variety is important, but that's also developmentally normal for a child to get sick if they're in childcare, for a child to get, you know, picky when they're 14, 15, 18 months, when you were a varied eater, Ryan went through it too. He ate three slices of pizza at like 10 months of age. And then (laughs) at 18 months, no pizza. And so if I didn't know that you would say something's wrong, but you, like you said earlier, their intake desires change. So I think this real education is so important. And I just think it's nice that we're having that conversation because that goes into what we started at the beginning of the stress, that that yeah. meal planning stress, the meal stress. And I know we're going to get into that about how we can actually bring joy back into mealtimes because that is something that I think our modern parenting generation has really lost. Like everyone's yeah. stressed. My kid's not eating. I'm not doing this. I'm like, remember that this is social. Like this is, you're going to be just fine. Like I need you not to pressure yourself. Oh, I was just going to say that like, if we can shift from the idea of like getting the kids to eat all of these foods to like, how can I make mealtimes enjoyable for everyone? Right. How can I help my child feel safe and comfortable in a range of food experiences? Because that's what they're going to need when they go to school or when they're with grandma and grandpa or like, when they're not with you, which I know is hard to imagine when you have a baby, but like they will like, you know, it just happens so fast that they're in school. And then like, they're in a totally different environment and the safety and like the ability to say, no, I don't like that. Like when my son went to a new daycare on the first day, his teacher tried to give him peas and he was like, no, thank you. And Mm -hmm. she tried again. And he was like, I said, no, thank you. And she like related it to me as like, she was about to say like, he's picking. I was like, he told mm. you he doesn't like them. Yeah. 
that's what you would want. Like, that's a good thing. And I don't want peace sometimes. Like we talked about adults, right? right? Like, why are we holding our kids to a higher standard than we would? Like I go out and, you know, about the pickiness comment, like I don't know a single adult who loves everything to eat every single moment. Like sometimes right. we're in moods and why can't kids have moods? Why can't kids say, I don't want peas or maybe I want salt and pepper on my peas. Like I don't want bland peas. Maybe they're not making it that good. I have no idea. <laughs> like, you don't know, right? You mentioned that earlier about the standards we set for ourselves with like diversity of food, you know, like how I eat the same four things for breakfast on rotation. Ryan eats the same five things on rotation. I'm not stressed about it. How right. we introduce diversity is switching up the fruit option, switching up the veggie option that we throw in there to mm-hmm. add the diversity diversity there, but we're not panicking so much that he eats the same six things, five things on rotation. And then when my mom comes and makes something fancy, there you go. Like you said, special occasions, you know, but I love this. Simplicity is so important for all the other decisions that we make. This is something that happens so regularly. So simplifying it just makes so much sense. And one of the things that you mentioned was about cost, right? You know, all this can lead to more cost. What's your favorite ways to reduce food waste and lower grocery bills, you know, maybe storage tips, things like that. I know that the time of this recording, grocery bills are super high. And I recognize that when I go to the store, I'm like, wow, this used to be much like $40, $30 less than what I was spending. So what can parents do to kind of curb that cost and kind of plan that way? Okay. So a couple things. So I'm not going to be able to share all of my tips because this is like an area that I love. Yeah. So I would say that before you go to the store, shop your pantry and your freezer because sometimes we put stuff in there and we sort of forget that it's there. So I often look there and see if there's something I can use in a meal either before I go to the store or in the coming week so that I can naturally buy less. With feeding kids, start with smaller portions so that you don't put like a pile of whatever food on their plate and then they take a bite and decide they don't want the rest. Right. We try as much as we can with dinners to eat the same foods so that if a child decides that they don't like one of the elements, someone else can eat them. So that is where like I do usually include like four different foods in a meal so that people can sort of mix and match. But usually there's someone who likes each of the foods at least so that we're not wasting those. (laughs) I don't personally love leftovers. So the only things that I like batch cook are whenever I cook rice, I make twice as much rice Mm -hmm. and then I stash it in the freezer for the next time. But I think you have to like look at your own family and your own specific eating habits. If there is a chicken taco recipe that everybody loves, double it, stick half in the freezer and then you have a meal for next week. But it's so like context dependent. Like my husband eats all of our leftovers if we have some. So like that's not a good tip. But like I am aware that like Unless it's pasta or pizza or like beans, nobody is going to touch those leftovers except for him. So I try to not make it so much that that would be difficult for him to eat. Yeah. With groceries, like store brands are almost always less expensive. I usually wait to buy produce until I go to the store and see what's on sale or what looks freshest because that's something that's just harder to predict. And then like, if I know I need something for a recipe, I can check the produce aisle. And then if it's like really expensive, I can go buy it frozen usually. So that's where like, if you plan your meals, if you have categories for each night and you leave some flexibility with the produce, you can wait till you get to the store and see what is less expensive. 
You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. And each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And then this might be something that not everybody likes, but we don't have meat every night. That is a thing that can be very expensive. So we do a lot of meals that are vegetarian or that are rely on beans or that rely on eggs, assuming eggs are not costing a fortune. But like, I think this idea about protein, like there's so many foods that have protein in them and most kids get plenty of protein without us trying. So we don't have to have a meat entree at every dinner. Pasta has protein whole wheat bread has protein. Like if kids drink milk, they're probably getting enough protein for the day. So like if you can let some of that go and still make meals that are filling and satisfying enough for everyone, that can be a very simple way to reduce your grocery bill also. Yeah. These are great tips. And I know you share things like, again, through your social media and your blog, which we'll link again, all these amazing tips and resources (laughs) that, like I mentioned at the beginning that are just relatable and obviously having a family yourself and being a cooking, like a food lover, obviously I can tell, I really appreciate that. My last question for you, um, I have so many, but the last question for today (laughs) is what we had alluded to already, which is ways to bring back that joy to mealtime and reduce that stress, reduce that pressure and actually be able to maybe eat your meal too. If you feel like you're constantly being that, okay, let me go get this. Let me go get this. How do we enjoy meals again? Um, So this a little bit might depend on your phase of life. If you have an infant, this is going to be harder, but I think there are a few things you can do, like simplify your cooking to start with. I didn't buy salad kits until after I had my second child. Cause I was like, I can put that together myself. And yeah. then I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> like I understand why they, they are so valuable yeah. now. Yeah. So like things like that. And then if you have like kids who are old enough, or if you have a partner, if you are constantly the last person getting to the table and you are the person who is constantly the one who needs to get up to get things, have a conversation away from the meal about how we're all going to do it together and we're all going to get everything to the table so that we can sit down and eat at the same time so that the mom is not the one who is left sort of running around picking up the slack. And then when you get to the table, 
talk about other things. Mm -hmm. This is not the time to give a speech about the nutrition and carrots. This is the time to ask your kids if they're verbal or even if they're not verbal, like kids love listening to parents and interacting with people who are paying attention to them. And as soon as your kids are able to like verbally communicate with them, telling them stories and asking them questions about their day and telling jokes as they get older, like the more you can talk about other things and just have it be a place that you can connect because a lot of the time it is the only time that we're actually all sitting down together. I think like that can really be the most helpful thing. The dinners where we've gotten all the kids to tell a joke, or sometimes if I'm alone with my kids, we tell circle stories. So like I'll start a story and then we'll go around the table and we'll just like keep going and everyone adds on a part of the story. And it's like super silly and means nothing, but it is like funny and it keeps them engaged and they feel like they're part of the experience. So I think just like changing the perspective a little bit on that. Yeah. And it's like we said, it takes the pressure off of picky eating. Like I deal with so many families who have picky eating. And when you get into that label and that cycle, picky eating, you can't get out of it. Like it's really hard to bring back the joy and say, okay, because you're so fixated on them eating. And like you said, you're like, I need to be honed in, but that honing in is pressure. That honing in is like, oh my God, like, can we just back up? Like, it's like, I think about like, my husband used to be very picky. And if I just stared at him the entire time while he was eating a meal, he wouldn't have expanded his palate. And through the 10 years that we've known each other, he's now eating all these adventurous foods. And I'm the one who helped him become less picky. And I'm so proud of myself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with my son, it's like, you know that, you know that if they're just staring at them, perseverating, okay, what about that? You want to touch that? It's not going to serve anybody. And especially the parent, like, I just feel like, again, we have so much stress and pressure of finishing meals, taking a bite, all of that stuff, which staring at them, fixating yeah. on it. I hate to break it to you. It's not going to make them eat it. Like it's not. Well, it's also then taking you away from your own food. Yes. And so and you can't tell stressed. if you're hungry. You can't tell if you're enjoying your food. And that's not fair to yeah. anybody in the equation. And one other thing I wanted to mention is like, wherever possible, especially with little kids, just lighten the mood. Like I often will like hand my son like a pair of tongs to eat with or like give him my fork or like a serving fork or like some other... Be silly, yeah. Yeah, like let them pour their own water from like a kid-safe pitcher. Like I just think that we're... The more we can just like let our expectations come down Mm -hmm. a bit. And I really do want parents to be able to enjoy their food. Yeah. Because it's not good for your digestion. It's not good. Like, it's just not something that you should have to do for years yeah. and years and years. And the only way that you can enjoy your food is if you mind your own plate a little bit more. Well, yeah. And you also said about using the development of the child. I, I respect and understand that, yes, an infant, maybe a younger toddler is not going to be able to go get their own water. But when you right. start to see and foster that autonomy, Ryan, I would say he's three and four months at the time of this recording. We're going to debut it much later than that. About four months, three months ago, when he turned three, he was now able to go do the entire fill up of his water on his own, like getting the stool, getting up to the refrigerator, the cup, the lid, the straw. And it was like, I looked at my husband, I'm like, this is a new phase of parenting. Like the fact that I can tell him if you're thirsty, you're going to go get your water. And in your situation that you mentioned, having the pitcher there, having them pour. And then I think a lot of the other thing is parents are afraid of mess and all this, but the only way they're going to learn is getting a little messy and trial and error and spilling that water, realizing, oh, I made a mess. I don't want that to happen again. What am I going to do differently? And that's us 
also managing expectation and not being so stressed and being okay with all that. But if we're right. already stressed about the meals and this and that, and I'm not going to eat and I'm not eating, and then your child spills a glass of water, trialing and erroring how to fill it up, you're going to feel you're not going to learn because you're just going to do it for them. And it's a, it's a cycle. And I appreciate you bringing this information because stress has a huge impact on quality of family time and meals and how we yeah. show up to our children and at the dinner table too. Yeah, totally. And you have a book, which I want to go into, and I think it recently came out, but mm-hmm. what would be your final message before we get to that for everyone listening today? You have so many great pearls. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's really the like, it's okay to lower your expectations and just enjoy the phase where you are and like really own it kind of like everyone is only going to be this age for a very short amount of time. And there are very specific things about the kids that the ages that they are that you just get to enjoy. And I just think that we don't need to rush so much through that. And so I think just like, it's fine. It's all, it's really it's okay. It's all fine. <laughs> it's like, that is a great final message. It's that was not okay. like the it's most eloquent. But. No, it's perfect. Exactly. No, it's fine. You're going to be fine. Everyone's yeah. fine. I love it. Amy, so yeah, tell me more about your book. And then of course, where everyone can find you to stay connected, get your book, all of the resources that you have. So the book Dinnertime SOS is available anywhere books are sold. It is basically everything we've been talking about. So it's a hundred recipes that are like super streamlined. So I tried my hardest to like minimize chopping. There are no electric appliances needed. So you don't need a blender. You don't need a food processor. And I was imagining parents being in the kitchen at like 530 with their kids hungry. And like, what can I put together? to make quickly that we can all eat together. So there's 75 main dish recipes and then 25 like super simple sides and then tips for serving everything throughout. So it's meant to be the guide that you go to for those weeks where you just like have very little bandwidth for getting meals on the table, but you want easy ideas. And I like, I use frozen foods. I use jarred foods. Like there are a lot of shortcuts in there. So I hope that overall it sort of helps reinforce that permission to make it easier. I love it. And I can't wait to get it myself. I think this is so wonderful. I'm always looking for recipes that are easy to implement. I love food, yeah. but I mean, sometimes I see recipes and I'm like, when it's more than like 20 ingredients, I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah. I've lost yeah, this. We, like, I've lost <laughs> this already. <laughs> For sure. Streamline the ingredients. And also yeah. like, I didn't want anyone to open a page of a recipe and be like, oh, that's too many words. So yeah, many words, <laughs> we're like, very exactly. aware of that. And then um, of course, besides the book, where can people stay connected and get all of your resources and information? So everything is on yummytoddlerfood.com. And then on social media, it's at yummytoddlerfood. And I will be attaching this to the show notes, links to her book, as well as her Instagram page, as well as um, her website as well and blog, which has the recipes in full that she presents on her social media. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. It was such a pleasure chatting with you on the show. Obviously, I feel connected to you on social, (laughs) but this was so nice for you to actually be able to come on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad we could do it. 
And for everyone listening, I know you got some great tips from Amy. And if you're not following her already, you must follow her at Yummy Toddler Food on social media. I loved having her on, sharing her tips, sharing her expertise. If you loved what you heard, make sure you leave a review and call her out. Call out the episode that you loved it. That's how this show continues to grow. And I can't wait to have another guest on next time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.